Good morning, Giants. Welcome to Wake Up With Giants TV. Have you ever wondered how givers can gain? Good morning, Giants. Welcome to Wake Up with Giants TV. I'm Ryan Morris, and as always, I'm here with your host, Nicholas T. Smith, the author of The Giants and the Smalls. Today, we have such a great episode for you, but first, uh, go to YouTube, hit the subscribe button, and then the alert button so you know when we go live every single dang time. Join us on Facebook, a tribe of Giants, where you can find an amazing community of people that are walking through their journey just like you and can be there to support and uh and make a lot of great friendships along the way. Nick, I'm so excited about our show. Can you introduce our guests and any announcements that I may have overlooked? Well, I think, you know, before we go into the guests, we've got a couple of announcements. We have the SG Group coming up in uh, June 8th. That's a Wednesday. So we've only got 10 seats. Two of those are already filled. And so you want to jump on that quickly. And then also coming up in June, we've got a special event, a three-day live weekend with a Garth Brooks concert, maybe. Ooh. So that'll be a good <laughs> thing. Good. <laughs> so outside of that, I'm going to dive into our conversation here with Dr. Ivan Meisner. He's got a phenomenal uh, bio. And I, as I go through this, I, I, I want you to hear it from a space of that's possible for me, you know, what he's created over his life here. So Dr. Meisner is the founder and chief visionary officer of BNI. So if you're not familiar with BNI, it's the world's largest business networking organization Founded in 1985, the organization now has over 10,600 chapters in 76 countries throughout every populated continent of the world. So last year alone, BNI generated 12.4 million referrals, resulting in more than $18.6 billion worth of business for its members. That's incredible. That uh, incredible. Dr. Meisner's, he's, the, uh, he's got his PhD from the University of Southern California. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's written 26 books. I'm on your heels, Dr. Meisner. <laughs> Catch up one day. Uh, his latest book is Who's in Your Room? He's also a columnist for entrepreneur.com and has been a university professor as well as a member of the board of trustees for the University of Laverne. So he's called the, fa the father of modern networking by both Forbes and CNN. And Dr. Meisner is considered to be one of the world's leading experts on business networking and has been a keynote speaker for major corporations and associations throughout the world. He's been featured in the LA Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, as well as numerous TV and radio shows, including CNC, or CNN and BBC uh, and the Today Show. So among his many awards, he's been named the Humanitarian of the Year by the Red Cross and has been the recipient of the John C. Maxwell Leadership Award. He's a proud, he is proud that he's, uh, he and his late wife, Elizabeth, are the co-founders of the BNI Charitable Foundation. They also reached empty nester status happily after raising their three children. Oh, and in his spare time, I don't know that you have any left here. He's also an amateur magician and a black belt in karate. That's Ooh, pretty so you don't incredible. want to mess with him. <laughs> <laughs> no, <you don't. laughs> so Dr. Meisner, welcome to the show. Thanks, gentlemen. Please call me Ivan. Ivan, perfect. So, you know, as, as part of our journey here, what we try and highlight for people is, is what it takes to create something amazing in your life and, and the power of it. 
uh, we like to dive into going through development and creation and awareness and all these things. So our first question is really around uh, when, you know, at any point in your life, did you ever develop any unconscious behaviors that were in a way keeping you from living your potential? I think everybody does to some extent. Um, you, you know, I think the first one that um, was brought to my attention was when I was a young boy, I was probably 13 years old. And um, my mother gave me a paperweight that I have to this day. Now, I'm talking to you today from my uh, penthouse Galveston and in, in uh, penthouse uh, condo in Galveston. But normally I'm in, in my often office in Austin and I actually have the paperweight that my mother gave me when I was 13 years Holy old. Cow. Yeah. And, and I could, and I put my pick it up and show people um, it, it says diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way. Oh, wow. And my mom said, uh, honey, I love you, but you are a bull in a China shop. You just knock people over. You have got to learn how to work with people. And that's about collaboration, not manipulation. Uh, but if you don't learn how to work with people more effectively, you're, you're just not going to be very successful in life. And that was great advice. And it was something that was, you know, an unconscious behavior. I was like, like you know, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. It was a, you know, full frontal assault kind of guy. And um, I learned that you really, if, if you want to, if you want to move people in a direction, you've got to do it diplomatically. And yeah. um, at least that's that's what she taught me. I believe in it. And I'm glad that um, she taught me that at an early age. So were there other awakening moments like that where you had an awakening to your unconscious behaviors? Um, and if there were awakening moments, how did you move through those from from self-judgment maybe into a, a conscious observer of your life? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think the first time uh, I really moved from uh, being in a situation to a conscious observer uh, was, was really, again, very young and it was right around the same age. Um, it was probably just a step before my mother gave me that, that, um, uh, paperweight. Uh, true story. Uh, I had run for um, student council in junior high uh, twice and lost. Uh, and, okay, so I didn't just lose. I was wiped out. I mean, I, I was decimated. I was dead last. I was kind of the laughing stock of the junior high for running and losing so incredibly badly. So now I'm a freshman in high school and, you know, and talking about uh, uh, being, beco becoming a conscious observer. This is what happened. I, I, I'm a freshman in high school and I was sitting in the social studies class and all the student council representatives as a freshman were elected from this, the freshman social science uh, class um, for that year. The, at, the, at the end of the year, the next year was uh, selected but as a freshman, we all came from different junior highs. So uh, the, the teacher, I remember his name, uh, uh, Frank Romero. Mr. Romero asked everybody, he said, um, okay, we, we have to pick the student council representative. Um, who would like to be a student council representative? You can nominate yourself. You can nominate someone else. And I remember thinking, God, I'd love to do that. I mean, I, I ran twice. I had my butt kicked twice. <laughs> you know. But I'm not going to do that again. Yeah, yeah. Been there, done that. That was embarrassing. No. 
Nobody volunteered. Nobody. He said, you can nominate someone or you can nominate yourself. And I'll, I'll never forget Cindy. Cindy, the cheerleader, freshman cheerleader. She stood up and she said, oh, Mr. Romero, you know, I would do it, but I'm, she literally stood up and said, this. I'm just so busy uh, with cheerleading. I don't have time to do student council. I remember Mr. Romero's like, okay, thank you, Cindy. I appreciate you not volunteering. <laughs> Anybody. No one volunteered. And I, uh, I remember he then said, well, if you're not going to pick anyone, I am empowered to select someone. Are you all okay if I just pick someone? And they're like, yeah, yeah we don't care. Pick someone. doesn't matter. And he looked around the room. And guys, I have no idea why. But he looked at me. This is the first week of class. I'd only met him three, four times. And he said, uh, Ivan, I bet you would like to do this, wouldn't you? I was like, well, um, yeah, Mr. Romero, uh -huh. I, I kind of would. And he said, okay, you're the student council representative. I swear to you, the entire class all at once said, oh, no, not Ivan. Not, oh, no, <laughs> not Ivan. I'm anybody but Ivan. Even Cindy stood up and she said, oh, well, Mr. Romero, if you're going to pick Ivan, then I'll, I'll do it. Turns out oh. my calendar cleared up, right? <laughs> yeah, boom. So, you know, you talk about um, being a conscious mm -hmm. observer. It was really at that moment that I was looking around thinking, really, seriously? You know, you guys, do you, do you not see me here? Do you mm -hmm. not observe that I'm here? Um, do you not care about what it is that you're saying? And I had to just step back and um, kind of observe that and recognize that. It didn't have to necessarily agree with that. But I, I saw, you know, people's feelings are their reality. Yeah. And I had to deal with that reality. The amazing thing was that Mr. Romero said, nope, nope, you guys gave me the power to do it. I made the decision. Ivan is your student council representative. Let's all turn to page uh, 10 on chapter one of the book. Yeah. And I was it. And, and the rest of the story really kind of goes towards mentoring because I, I did not want to let him down. And, and I wanted to do this. This is something I really wanted to do. But I didn't want to let him down. And so I, I talked to him regularly. He gave me advice. Um, I did my best to be the best student council representative that I could be in that same class. That same class that said, oh, no, not Ivan. At the end of the year, voted on the next year student council representative. And that same class voted me to be. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you shared that because there's people that are sitting there at home that just went backwards in their memory yeah. of, the, of the things, or maybe they're going through something like this currently right now. Yeah. Where they feel that way, whether they're getting elected for a student government or, you know, position is irrelevant. It's the, right. it's the, the metaphor of where you're at in life and, and, and going from, the laughing stock, yeah, to... which is literally what I was. Mm. Literally, that's not amazing. Figured, I mean, literally, and the real irony is that I was um, then reelected. Um, well, I was elected for a sophomore year. My junior year, I was the first ASB officer to be a junior for that school, and in my senior year, I was ASB president. And it all wow. started because of one person who said, 
who looked at me and said, I think you're interested in this, aren't you? And I said, yes. And it was from me being a, a conscious observer that enabled me to, to say yes, because if had I, had I lived in the, in the victim moment, yeah, yeah, which would have been really easy to do, that would have redefined the person I became. But instead I, I did my best to be an observer of it as painful as that was. Um, and to accept the opportunity when it was given to me and then run like hell with it. Yeah. Yeah. See, and, and grow into it, grow into that capacity. Right. Yeah. Uh, the beauty of what you're offering here is, is the idea that you did experience emotions at that point. You probably yeah. felt pretty heavy and deep emotions. Uh, yeah. I felt like I, I couldn't you know slip under the rug. You know, there was yeah. no, I had no crystal ball. I had no idea that someday I would start an organization that's global that right. I'd have over 10,000 groups around the world that I would write 26 books that I'd be a keynote speaker. I, I didn't, you know, I was just a kid. I, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so yeah. you, you, you look back at it and you go, well, yeah, but you, you know, you're successful. Well, no, I wasn't at 13 and I was at a nexus point as many of us are through many times throughout our life. We're at this nexus point where we can go one way or the other way. And I was, I was blessed to have a person who nudged me in a yeah. direction that I was willing to run with. It seemed like there was a connection to what was going on within you, even though he didn't have an idea of what was going on within you or what you'd experienced yeah. in the past. There was a knowing, right? He, he, he didn't know, which is really, yeah. truly amazing. Yeah. So did that help you to learn to accept yourself? to accept your life, to, to kind of be neutral in spaces like that? Or were there other uh, experiences? You know, as I, as I um, progressed I, throughout most of my life, I, I've been pretty comfortable with who I am. Um, I think the key is kind of getting good with your personal values at a, as early in life as possible and, and living those values. And if you live your values I think you're mostly pretty confident and pretty, pretty, pretty comfortable, maybe not confident, but pretty comfortable uh, with who you are uh, as uh, an individual. Um, and I think, I, I think that the understanding your values is what really makes that happen. Can we play with that for a minute? Yeah, so much the idea want. of the value, you know, the, the value system or what is a value, if you were to define that the way you use it, what do you define a value as? It's, it's, it's the way you live your life. Now, I mean, people have professed values, but they don't live those values. Okay. So the older I get, the less I believe in words and the more I believe in behaviors. It's how you behave. Yeah. And so when I talk about values, I'm talking about the way uh, that I behave with others, the way that others behave with me, yeah. uh, because I met many people that have um, professed to have values that they don't live, that they don't behave. They're great so orators, they, right? They can they can speak it. Yeah. But they don't yeah. live it. When you've, we've met a lot of these oftentimes religious people who just talk about one thing and then do something completely different. Yeah. But not just them. I've had business people that have said one thing and done something completely different. And so um, I, I'm talking about, you know, living uh, the beliefs that you have. And early on in my 
you know, probably not at 13, but certainly by my early 20s, I was developing my, my mind values that I thought I wanted to live my life with, one of which was this concept of giver's game. Yeah. This idea that uh, if I help you, you'll help me and we'll all do better as a result of it. And to me, giver's gain is more than a phrase. It's, it's a way of living one's life. It's a perspective to view and interact with the world. It's an attitude, not an expectation. And when it's applied properly, it'll change your life. And when it changes enough lives, I believe it'll change the world. Yeah. And can you clarify that? That extent, the distinction between attitude and expectation. Can you? Well, yeah. yeah. So, so um, the, the expectation is that you're going to give to me. The attitude is that I'm going to give to you. And so if you go into this with the expectation that you're just going to give to me, I'm not going to yeah. do anything until you give to me. Yeah. That's not what this is about. Now, you know, I wrote a book called Infinite Giving. And in Infinite Giving, we, we say in the book, being an infinite giver doesn't mean you're an infinite victim. So, you know, at some point you realize, look, I, I got a person here who's just a taker. That's fine. You can, you can end that relationship. So I'm not saying being an infinite victim. And I and I have people who say, well, I gave and I gave and I gave and I gave and, I gave and they never did anything. Well, what, what's wrong with you? At some point, you got to stop. But but it can't be your your underlying expectation that the only, the only way I'm going to give to you is if you give to me first or if I know you're going to give to me next, then it becomes a transactional experience. And so that's what that, you know, it's, it's funny how such a simple sentence has a complex meaning, which... Yeah. Which you kind of figured out pretty quickly there. Well, it's, it's the idea that, um, you know, just giving to give, um, without expectation of anything in return, there could be, and there's a point where you just keep giving, 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 and there's never anything in return. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's what you called the, the taker. There's yeah. a point you just cut that off, right? You, gotta you, cut recognize it off. you just cut it off yeah, and you move on. It requires discernment. Yeah. And with discernment, you realize, look, I, this person has no intention of a mutually responsible relationship. Yeah. And 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 you end up you end that relationship. Um, that said, you know, I really believe that as much as possible, you, you give without yeah. an expectation of any kind of immediate return. And, and when I say expectation of a return, it might not be a quid pro quo. It might not be, I'm going to give you a referral, you give me a referral. I might give you a referral, you give me emotional support. You give me um, ideas. It doesn't have to be identical, but it needs to be reciprocal eventually. Yeah, identical transact. It would almost become transactional if it were identical. Right? Yeah, it's it's, it's called coin operated networking. Let me put the coin in. Give me my candy. Yeah, okay. uh, and that, yeah. Doesn't, that doesn't work. Yeah, huh? Coin operated networking. Yeah, bad bad way to network. Yeah, okay. <laughs> give me my candy. Yeah. Now, how important is gratitude in all of this? Oh, listen, gratitude is, I think, so incredibly important in uh, build in in in, in life. I, in infinite giving, I, I talk about um, the power of gratitude, and gratitude is not New Age psychobabble. Uh, gratitude is science. Mm. And there is science behind the whole concept of showing gratitude. Yeah. Harvard, Yale, uh, the Claremont Colleges, uh, many different universities have studies that have shown 
that showing gratitude directly impacts performance. Ironically, not just the performance of the people that you show gratitude to, but yeah. to the people who who show gratitude to others. That there's yeah. a direct and dramatic linear correlation between showing gratitude and productivity, and uh, and it's it really isn't new age psychobabble. It's it, it's science, and there's there, science. There are physiological it. benefits, right? There there are measurable benefits to yeah. gratitude. Yeah, huh. absolutely. Huh. And so do you use it frequently in your life? Like how, how often do you express gratitude? Do you have a method for expressing gratitude? What, what well, is your preferred model? Well, I think, I think that uh, whenever you have the opportunity to show gratitude, you, you, you definitely should. Um, but you, let's talk about some of the specifics okay. of, of the, the science behind it. Uh, Harvard Medical School reported uh, that there have been multiple studies showing that people who express gratitude are not only more optimistic, but they felt better about themselves, which is what I was talking about. A paper that was published by the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence concluded that expressing gratitude completes a feeling of connection with others, which is probably pretty important if you're um, in if you want to network with other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, neuroscientists uh, at the Claremont Graduate School argue that um, that the neuroscience shows that recognition has the largest effect on trust, especially if it's tangible, unexpected, personal, and public. And I mean, in in the in the book I did, Infinite Giving, I've got even more and more uh, things. Your question was, how do I show it? I think one of the best ways to show it easily is a book that's been around for almost 40 years, The One Minute Manager uh, by Ken Blanchard. Yeah, yeah. And I've met Ken, amazing Love Ken guy. Blanchard. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and I mean, he talks about one minute praisings. And um, it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a Yelp review <laughs> to be effective. Yeah. You know, you, you just say to the person in, in a minute or less what it was they did, be specific. Specific is terrific when you're talking about gratitude. Be laser specific about what they did. Thank them for what they did, and um, and it it has an incredible impact on other people. And so I try to do it verbally. I try to do it in writing. Um, I'm not real good about writing letters. Uh, you know, emails. I, I'm good at. I, I'm, I'm not either. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm not real good about letters, but emails. Uh, I'm really good at that. And verbal. Um, I'm. I'm pretty good at just Thank a quick people. acknowledgement, right? Yeah. Just, it's about acknowledging people for what they've done. Mm. You know, I think the secret here is to catch people doing something right. Not always catching people doing something wrong. And what mm. happens is that as people become, as they move up higher and higher in an organization, they're constantly catching people doing things wrong. When in fact, what they need to do is catch people doing things right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have Isn't a thought Ken, that Ken Blanchard talks about that in, uh, well done, I think, if I remember. He talks right. about that in uh, putting the one-minute manager to work. Uh, yeah. And he might be the one-minute manager as well. But, yeah, he talks about that, you know, catching people, catch people doing things right. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like people would pursue acknowledgement more than compensation in some cases? Like it's more oh, valuable? I, I don't think it. I know it. Okay. Um, Frederick Hertzberg in the 1960s wrote an article 
that was published at the Harvard Business Review. It's so it's so rare. I get to talk about this. You're now you're now putting on my, yeah, my uh, yes. professor hat. Okay, yeah. so I get to I get to do my do professor it. thing. Um, <laughs> we'll nerd out with you. Don't worry. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. We didn't we didn't plan this. This is no. good. Uh, so Fred, Frederick Hertzberg wrote this article that's called. This is the title of the article, and it's on Harvard Business Review. One more time now. How do you motivate employees? That's the title. One more time now. How do you motivate employees? Huh. And he did this study that talked about satisfiers and dissatisfiers. He, he, he originally termed them different terms, but later called them satisfiers and dissatisfiers. So a dissatisfier is money which was one of the things you talked about compensation. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, how could money be a dissatisfier? And here's the argument. People are never happy long-term because they make a certain amount of money. But they are unhappy if they don't make enough. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, he called it a dissatisfier. So, I mean, we might get, we get a raise. Yay, I get more money. And then three months later, it's an expectation. Or you see somebody else's raise or, yeah. or you compare. Why didn't I get that? How come I'm not making that? Yeah, yeah. So money tends to be, according to Hertzberg, a dissatisfier. The people will be upset because they don't make enough, but they're never happy long-term because they make so much. Recognition, opportunity, advancement. Those are all satisfiers. Huh. When people have, a, when they get recognition, when they get opportunities, when they can have a chance to advance within an organization. Those are satisfiers. People are happy because they have these chances to, to move up or this recognition that's given to them. I mean, you think about it. It's like, why would someone be an element, an elementary school teacher? It's not the money. Yeah. yeah. Sounds no. like the worst. No, it's like, you know, you're making a difference. Which was one of the one of the, the, the things was a satisfier is that you feel you're making a difference. Yeah, yeah. So elementary school teachers, they're like, Yeah, I'm not making much money for the work I'm doing, but I'm making a difference. And yeah. so that's a satisfier. So huh. compensation. Yeah, we found that when is, we when we would go into schools, yeah. that's they all they all don't make we all know that they don't make enough money. But they their hope was to make a difference in those kids' lives. They they were yeah. so invested in those kids and they knew which ones were struggling, which ones, you know, had, yeah. had hard home lives. Like they were fully invested. It was awesome to see. And here's what I like about many of those teachers. And I think we can apply this to people in the business world where I come from is that sometimes in the business world, we want to make a world of difference. We just want to change the world. And, and I think many teachers get this right more than business people. And, and, and here's, here's, here's my quote for this, my Ivanism for this. Yeah, okay. You, you may not make a world of difference, but you can make a difference in the world. And I believe you do that one person at a time. Yeah, okay. I made a difference for that person. And now I'm going to make a difference for this person. And now I'm going to make a difference for this person. And I think teachers get that more. I'm not all teachers, mind you. Yeah. But teachers get that more than I think entrepreneurs get that. Concept. I think, you know, in a way, you know, organizations would benefit by creating a compensation package that consists of both finances, fiscal, and then also the uh, the emotional side, the acknowledgement and the appreciation. Yeah, it, you know, I, I I see it's missed in a lot of organizations. Um, What's well, one of the core values of being up? Is it? 
yeah, we talk about, um, you know, values. Early on in the organization, I realized, because I read Hertzberg, one of the key things is you got to recognize people. So one of our core values in BNI is, to, is recognition. Yeah. Recog catch people doing something right. You know, uh, thank them for what they've done to the organization. It makes a difference. It's, I'm going to let, it's, let you in on a little secret. I was at BNI yesterday. Oh, oh <laughs> and and they did exactly what you're describing. Like there was a moment in there in the in the structure of recognition and thanking. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, yeah, that and and I'd be surprised if they at some point somebody didn't say something about givers gain as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't hear that. So we'll oh, I'm shocked. That's the one I hear almost all the time. <laughs> but but the recognition is one of our core values. We have seven core values. That's one of our yeah. core values is recognition. And I think it's an important uh, core value uh, because I know that that's a motivator and and it's what helps build a great culture. Yeah. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture is the secret sauce for um, any successful organization. And the yeah. DNA of that is the core values and the core values that a group lives, whether you're talking about a BNI group or a corporation or a nonprofit or, or a school, anything, the, the core values that are lived are what creates the culture of the organization. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And and um, I'll tell you, not to, to have anybody be in trouble over there, I wasn't looking for that. So I might have just missed it. That's uh, okay. <laughs> or hey, they, you know what? If if you go to a chapter meeting and you and, and the chapter hits any one of those seven core values, Holy I'm happy. They were efficient, Ivan. It was uh it was awesome to see. Uh yeah. to think that uh, that you created that is incredible all over the world. You know, I, uh, I'm 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 humbled by what BNI has become. Yeah. Um we last year we generated over 18 billion with a B, 18 billion dollars worth of business for our members all around the world, the referrals that they generated for themselves. And I just learned uh, a week ago that there are 17 countries in the world who have a lower GDP than the <laughs> amount of business we generated That's for our That's unreal. Members. Isn't that, that unreal? blows me away. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I met with you, this was, I think it was about 2011 or so. Um, you were saying that you had the gross domestic product or the, the, the same as Liberia or something no, like uh, that. Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein. Okay. Yeah, we're now twice the, yeah. the GDP of Liechtenstein. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So let me ask you this. If you know, do you have difficult emotions? Do you ever feel depression, anxiety? How do you pivot on those? How do you turn them around? How do you work through them? Do you have some tools or rituals or routines that you use to get re back into your power? Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, everyone has downtime. You know, I think I think there are people that um, they, they they think well, really successful people don't get depressed. That's just not true. Everybody does. It's how you come out of it. I've written about it. I've I've got a blog or two on the topic. Um, and so when 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 things are tough for me, uh, there are five things that I try to do to refocus. One is minimize contact with negative people. Mm. You know, you can't completely eliminate it. I wish I wish it were possible to completely eliminate it. It's not possible. But um, I really try to minimize um, my contact with negative people. Uh, sometimes there are just certain people in the world that complain as though it's an Olympic event. And 
And it's not. <laughs> I've, I've everyone checked. at home's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've looked. There's no <laughs> Olympic event. Don't you tell me. I got a gold medal. Yeah. 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 I know a lot of people that would get gold medals. Yeah. Um, so what, I try to really minimize what my What about time. family, though? Well, okay. All right. Well, let's go back to the rest of the other four in a minute. Let's talk about family. I wrote a book called Who's in Your Room? And it's about the people that you surround yourself with. And, and the truth is the family, you really don't have a lot of control over. And so with family, what you have to do is you say, look, you're in my life, but your baggage has to stay out. When, and the room, by the way, the room is your, your life. It's your, it's your mind. The room starts here and ends here. It's everybody that you let into your head. So you may be in my family, you may be in my head, but your baggage has to stay out. You, you got to leave that out. Now, I'm working on the second edition of Who's in Your Room, and here's a story. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you an advanced bit. That's awesome. It's, yeah, it's not in the original exclusive book. info right here. Exclusive for yeah. second edition. Um, I told this concept to a woman, and she said, "Well, we got a family member who's just always coming to family events and throwing in a verbal hand grenade into the family event, like Thanksgiving or holidays, you know." <clears throat> religious holidays or, or, or secular holidays. And she throws in this verbal hand grenade and everybody gets mad and people, you start yelling and they leave and she keeps ruining these events. And we didn't know what to do. We, she said, I read your book and we, we decided to do something. She told me this. I love the idea so much. It's in the next book. She said, <laughs> what we decided to do was, and we met without her, all of us met without her. And we decided that the next time she comes, and lobs in a verbal hand grenade that we will all, no matter what it was she said, we would all look at her and say, oh, okay. And turn back and go right into our conversations. Completely ignore the hand grenade. It's so, like throwing a pillow on it. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> so next event, sure enough, she shows up, boom, lobs in the grenade. Everybody kind of looks at her and goes, Oh, okay. And went back to their conversation and she was stunned and she did it again a second time at the next event. Yeah. She did it again at the second time at the next event. They did the same thing. After that, she stopped. Wow. The the woman who told me this story said she actually stopped coming to a lot of the family events, but those that she came to, she didn't do it anymore. She was obviously getting something yeah, yeah. Out of riling people up. And when she could no longer rile people up, she didn't want to come as often. Mm. And so you you may be in my life, but your baggage has to stay out. I picture I have cousin, a kid. cousin Eddie, you know, on, on National Lampoon's vacation, Christmas vacation. <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't see that movie. Yeah, go sleep in the motorhome. Go ahead, Brian. You had a thought there. I was just going to say, like, I got a kid that... that uh, She'll do that to her brothers and throwing her under the bus. She has no idea. Uh, but, and me and my wife, they'll cut the kids will come to us and say, she's poking me. She's hitting me. She's doing this. She's saying this. I'm like, well, you're, she just wants a rise out of you. If you just ignored it, she'd stop doing it. Cause we'll ignore it and it'll stop. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, so yeah, you're, you're it right. Is, that. is it, there's something right, so you want to hear the other that. four things about yep. getting back on track. Um, Let's do it. Yep. I, I, I'll go through them quick. Second is yep. maximize time with people that refuel your energy. So you, you either hang out with people that are anchors or engines. 
they either draw, they either pull you down or they pull you forward. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And, and hang out with people that are engines, people that take you forward to be a better version of yourself. Um, the third thing is to read, listen, or watch positive things. Uh, you know, I was diagnosed, I was first diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago and um, I cut out movies and television shows that I thought were really violent. I love them. Like, okay, Criminal Minds, love Criminal Minds, great writing, but it was so dark. I thought, you know what? I don't want, I just don't want this in my head anymore. And so I cut it out. That doesn't, look, that doesn't mean you have to cut it out. That's just, that, that was my decision. I didn't want that. I didn't want to be in that headspace. Mm. And so uh, I try to cut out negative things when I'm feeling down and really uh, focus on positive things, watching comedy on YouTube or on TV. Uh, the fourth thing is um, uh, prioritize the things that you want to do and the things you must do. And, and, and separate them and make sure you have time to do the things that you want to do. This is the way you pull yourself out of a funk. And the last thing is eat the elephant one bite at a time. You can't get it all done tomorrow. I literally, I make, I make lists. I'm a you, list. You maker. eat elephants. I, I, <laughs> no, I don't eat elephants. Which, by the way, is a bad metaphor to use in India. Yeah, no, yeah nowadays, uh, huh? So I make lists. I have yeah. lists of things and I check them off one at a time. Me too. And when you're feeling down about what you're accomplishing, if you do a list and you check it off, you're like, okay, I'm making progress. Yeah. I'm making progress. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I do. Even little things, even just yeah. one thing can make a difference. Okay. So I want to dive into your view on abundance and uncertainty. How do you view uncertainty? How do you view abundance? What does that mean to you? Well, I, to me, it's it's simple. You you achieve more with abundance, with an abundance mentality, than you do with a scarcity mentality. The interesting thing is that people with a scarcity mentality rarely realize they have it. Mm. They just think they're practical. I mean, I, I've dealt with those people. They're like, no, I don't, know. I don't have a scarcity mentality. You're just not being realistic, dude. You have a total scarcity mentality. I mean, it's like. <laughs> Um, so it's, you can't tell somebody they have a scarcity mentality. It just, it just lights them up. Yeah. Um, but, and, and so it, it's got to come from within and okay. you have to realize yourself. It's, it, you can't point to other people and expect them to change. You know, when, you know, the old metaphor, when you point at somebody else, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. Yeah, so it yeah. doesn't do any good to point to other people and say they have a, a scarcity mentality. I believe that you live your life by your by your own values, and so if you if you if the, if someone else has a scarcity mentality, you have an abundance mentality. You move forward with that abundance mentality, and and get those other people out of your life as much as possible, because mm. they will they are anchors, not engines. But it's the it truly is the abundance mentality that makes all the difference in the world. You, you focus on the opportunities that exist and there are always amazing opportunities in life that people just often don't recognize. So what about uncertainty? How, how do you manage that? Okay. So, the unknown. yeah. So I, I, here's, here's my belief about the future and uncertainty. Get over it. We're going to live a future life of predictable unpredictability. Now, this is said by a guy who plans his spontaneity. 
I mean, I I plan <laughs> how I'm going to be spontaneous. So, <laughs> I, I, I can relate to this, actually. <laughs> I get it. I understand. Yeah. I also recognize <clears throat> that <clears throat> we are moving more and more into a world of predictable unpredictability. And what you have to plan for is unpredictability, which you can is, count on not counting on it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. which, which means you need to be flexible. And I, you know, I learned this lesson many, many, many years ago. I studied <clears throat> at the university of Southern California under Warren Bennis, who was in his day, he was the John Maxwell of leadership. Warren uh, <clears throat> wrote many books on leadership. Amazing man uh, passed away a number of years ago. Uh, he was on my doctoral committee and he taught me a couple of things that I think help me now. One is <clears throat> understanding can, the, the first doesn't directly relate to what you're saying, but the second does. The first is contextual intelligence. Understand the context of the situation that you're in because you can't be a cookie cutter leader. If you're using a cookie cutter for leadership, you're going to fail. So you have to understand the context of the situation. And the second applies exactly to what you're talking about. Uh, adaptive capacity. Mm. To be a great leader, you have to have an adaptive capacity, which might be based on contextual intelligence. That is, understand the context and then be prepared to adapt. And when it comes from the, uh, the, the perspective of predictability <clears throat> in the future, then you have to recognize that the future is unpredictable and you have to have an adaptive capacity, which means you need to think about what is possible in the future, how you will deal with it in the future. And if you have it totally wrong, reset your mindset and go in a different direction. Now, I will tell you, BNI, when COVID hit, we had just under 10,000 groups then. Imagine 10,000 groups that meet in person every week and then COVID hits. We had to just flip on a dime to online meetings. Now, luckily, talking about predictable and predictability, in 2018, I wrote an article that was published at entrepreneur.com that said basically the future of face-to-face -face is online. Now, my BNI members were like, oh, no, don't, don't say that. That can't be true. Oh, he's getting old, you know. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about anymore. And yeah. but Now, I didn't see COVID coming, but what I did see was technology changing. Mm. And that it was inevitable to me that technology was going to take us in a position where we we're going to do more and more networking meetings online. And when COVID hit, I'd like to think I planted that seed where people are like, oh, okay, maybe we need to do this online thing. And we, we flipped on a dime. Huh. We, the last two years of COVID, we grew. We have 37 years of consecutive growth as an organization. There are, I, I don't know of any other organization in the world that has 37 years of consecutive growth year on year, never one down year. Wow. Even during COVID. And the reason for that is that we really believe in this concept of predictable unpredictability. You have to look towards the future. You're, I'll leave you with one last thing. I know I'm on a rant. Yeah, you're good. We know how to rant. <laughs> your windshield is larger than your rear view mirror for a reason. You have to be looking ahead of you, yeah. not behind you. It's good to know what's behind you. It's good, you know, every now and then you got to back up. You need, to, you need to have that rear view mirror. But the truth is your windshield's larger than your rear view mirror. And that's what you need to be looking through. 
that's what you need to be searching for. This is a perfect segue, actually, because now we're into vision. Because when you go into uncertainty and abundance, now you can start visioning your future. So we have some friends that talk about vision. I'd love to hear your perspective of how you create vision and how you kind of lean into it, how you picture your world before it's a reality. Well, look, you know, nobody's got uh, a, a crystal ball for this, really. Um, and, and I recognize that, uh, you know, it's it's um, it's not easy to do what you're describing or, or what I'm about to describe. But the truth is, you got to sit down and think, just think about what you want your future to look like. That's where it starts. Just start thinking about And, you know, well, people, well, 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 how do I do that? Well, just get a sheet of paper and write down what you want. <laughs> the, okay, so the, I how to, the how hole, right? It's That's what we call is the how hole. The how like, hole. If I, I love just, that. That's actually a great phrase. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so 40, 40 years ago, I did this. I have a blog. <clears throat> if you go to IvanMeisner.com and you search on a uh, 40-year um, plan, you'll find this blog. I published it five, I published it almost six years ago. It was my 40-year plan. I wrote this in my 20s. <clears throat> this is what I said. And 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 I, you know, I think one of the one of the challenges we might have is that we try to get, I mean, I think it's good on certain goals to be really, really specific, but on more general goals to be more strategic. So, you know, on a 40 year plan, you, you don't really know, you don't really know what's happening two or three years ahead of you. Not really. So when you're talking 40 years, it's strategic. When you're talking two years, it's tactical. So this is a 40 year plan. So it was very, very strategic. But this is what I wrote. In my 20s, I said, these are my learning years. I want to pay my dues. I want to be prepared to work crazy long hours and be a sponge for learning, which, by the way, is one of my core values, lifelong learning. In my 30s, I wanted to establish myself in a career. This is all written down on my blog. I wanted to establish myself in a career. I wanted to pay, pick a professional lane and move forward in that lane in my 30s. In my 40s, that was my growth years. I wrote this all in my 20s. Mm. 40s were the right growth years. Build my business, create a reputation, continue with lifelong learning while accelerating the growth of my business. My mm. 50s, I wanted to be at the top of my game. I wanted to be at the top of my game professionally. I wanted to hopefully have built a positive professional reputation and a successful business. And my 60s and beyond, my goal, and I wrote this all down, my goal was to be an elder statesman. I wanted to spend time working in my flame, not in my wax, working in my flame, doing the things I loved. I didn't use that phrase back then. I did put it in the blog. It wasn't a phrase that I used back then. But I wanted to be doing the things that I loved, and I wanted to be providing strategic leadership in whatever business that I was in. And, and having that framework in my mind helped guide me in the direction that I ended up going. And I look back at this 40 years later, and I'm just blown away at how setting the vision helped helped me with my direction. Yeah, yeah. Achieve it. Steve Jobs says that you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only do that looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect. We call that surrender. 
yeah. in ours because you don't get to control the path, you yeah. get to control the vision. And so the path appears as you step. And and can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Look, listen, success as a path is not linear. You know, people think you go from, from here to here. Well, you do. But first you go here, here, <laughs> here, 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 you know, and then you end up there. That's, yeah. that's you know, whatever vision you have. Can, to can you do here. that again exactly? Because I, I missed that last here. Well, yeah, here, 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 here. then down and then back oh, up. Yeah. I mean, it's all, there you're all was. over the that's place. The one. And, and people think it's a linear path. And look, maybe it's a linear path for some people. It wasn't for me. Yeah. My linear path was all over the place. And I had ups, I had downs. I, I, I could be wrong, but I kind of think most of us have that kind of path. Mm-hmm. Ups and downs and, and the failures. This is probably the most important thing I can say to people your failures are your tuition for success hmm. if you apply it that way. Many people apply their, they look at their failures and they def, they define themselves by their failures. I choose to define myself by my successes and use my failures as tuition to achieve success. Hmm. And Lord knows I have massive failures. I have failures so big People could retire on my on my failures. <laughs> epic. I'm an epic, epic failure. Yeah. Epic, <laughs> epic, epic seven-figure failures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, beautiful. How do you how do you nurture? How do you stay committed to stepping every day in your creation, even even when you can't see it, you know, coming to fruition? How do you do that? I know that's going down the hellhole a little bit, but what is your method? Well, I, I believe in, for me, it, it, it's, we'll go back to a thing I touched upon. I think that you're either working in your flame or working in your wax. And when you're working in your flame, you're on fire. You're excited. You're passionate. You love what you do. Uh, people can see it in the way you behave. They can hear it in, in, mm-hmm. in the way you talk. Yeah. When you're working in your wax, it just takes all your energy away. Okay. And people uh, can see that in the way you behave and they can hear that in the way you talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the secret is to, to find your flame and work in your flame as much as possible. And, and I get it. You can't always do that. I didn't, I wasn't always able to work in my flame. You know, I, I recognize that sometimes you got to do what you got to do yeah, to get to do what you want to do. Okay. Okay. But, but my goal always was to get to myself, get myself to the point where I was working primarily in my flame and not in my wax. And that changes over time, by the way, that absolutely changes. Can you, can you give a variation of that so that the concept sticks? So the, the distinction between the flame and the wax, if, if there was another analogy that you could use to describe what you're saying, what, well, what would that you, be? Well, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing that you're passionate about? What do you love to do? That's your flame. Okay. And, and so when I was in, you know, when I started BNI, um, my flame was opening chapters. Uh, my wax was bookkeeping. Hated bookkeeping. I could do it. I paid my own bills. I did all my own accounting. I yeah. hated it. So one of the first things I did was hire somebody to fill my wax, a bookkeeper. Mm. Now here's a great lesson from that experience. She loved bookkeeping. One day she came to me, she said, um, I, I went, I, I, I wanted to balance the books they were off by 50 cents. 
Uh, it took me a couple of hours, but I found the 50 cents. <laughs> and now I told a friend of mine this, and he said, did you That's reprimand awesome. her? 50 cents, right? She couldn't go home. 50 cents. So I, I, I told a friend of mine, he's like, did you reprimand her? I said, why would I reprimand her? He said, because it took her two hours to find 50 cents. Who cares? I said, no, 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 no. Oh, no. I complimented her. He said, yeah, why wow. would you do that? I said, because what if it were 50 bucks? If it were $50, I'd say, eh, close enough. <laughs> she wouldn't, there's no way she'd have gone home over $50. What if it were $500? She would be apoplectic. That's, that was her flame. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. That was my wax. It was yeah. like 50 cents. Oh my God. No. But she, <laughs> she was all in. Huh. That was her flame. So I what like you want to do is, is and, and you don't get there overnight. It's okay. I didn't get there overnight. It took me years to be able to work primarily in my flame. From and, and and the flame changes. You know, for many years I was King Arthur, leading the charge. You know, building the franchise in the company. Today I'm Colonel Sanders, right? I'm the I'm the spokesperson of the company. Yeah, yeah. So it's okay to reinvent yourself so that you stay in a flame that keeps you excited about your business. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm still excited about what I do. I can see that. Yeah. I love what I do. Yeah. And I've been doing this 37 years. Huh. I love what I do because I keep trying to move into my flame. Yeah. So as, as part of your legacy, what legacy do you want to leave? When you leave this world, what do you want to leave behind? Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're going to get, we're going to get a little deeper here, I guess. Okay. Uh, on legacy. Um, and, and are you okay on time? I'm okay on time. Yeah, if I'm, you are. I'm good. Okay. If you are. Yep. Okay. Um, I'll give you a short answer and then I'll give you the long answer. Okay. Here's, here's your legacy. This is everyone's legacy. Your life is your legacy. Mm. How you lived your life is the legacy that you leave behind. Mm. Uh, I'm actually working on a book, a sequel to Infinite Giving called Infinite Legacy. And we're talking about in this book, the legacy we leave behind. And, and we want to make sure and spend most of our time talking about the legacy that the average person leaves behind. Yeah. yeah. Not the millionaire, not the billionaire. Yeah. Okay. But, but the average person. What's, what's the legacy they leave behind? Mm. And, um, and in the book, we paraphrase one of my favorite quotes in life, Jean-Paul Sartre. I'll, I'll paraphrase it here. We all die too soon hmm. or too late. And yet our life is complete at that moment with a line drawn neatly under it ready for the summing up. Hmm. We are our deeds in life and little more. And I think that's the legacy that we leave behind, the deeds mm -hmm. that we have done in life, um, good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we leave behind. And hopefully we leave a legacy of good deeds because you know, we all have people that are in our story. Uh, Frank Romero is in my story, the teacher. Uh, we all have people that are in our story. You guys could tell stories about people who've made a difference in your life. I, 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 there are many other people that have made a difference in my life. And so we all have people that are in our story. 
But to me, that's not as important as whose story are we in? Whose life have we changed? Hmm. That's the legacy that we, I think, wow. all need to leave is whose life have we changed? Yeah, wow. I, I can feel the depth of that, the emotion of that, the... Um... You know, it's easy to get hung up on the accomplishments. Yeah. The recognition, the statue left behind. Right. Right. right? But, but what you're offering here is that any level, any person can leave a legacy with yep. their needs. Any person. You can. And you can do it by the things that you've done to contribute to other people's lives. Mm. And they may be things that nobody ever knows about. I mean, the person that helped them would know, but the the general public would have no idea. Yeah. And teachers are another great example of that. There are so many teachers that have made uh, a massive difference in people's lives, yet there's, you know, no statues erected to the teacher that changed yeah, no books so written. many people's lives. And so that's where I really believe that it's, it's, it's our deeds in life that, that are our legacy. Our life is our legacy. And, mm. and that's, so you just got the end of the book, infinite legacy. <laughs> or at least Spoiler the key alert. Message. The key message. We're, we're taking all your ideas and exposing them before. Ah, that's okay. I don't mind. I want to share it freely. Yeah. Sweet. It's beautiful. Uh, if, you know, as we, as we reflect back on the conversation, you know, one of the questions that we, we like to ask is if you were to go back in time and meet with yourself, let's say at some point you choose, yeah. But you were to impart some piece of wisdom that you could carry yeah. with you moving forward. What would you share? I would, I would, you know, it's, what's funny is the, the more gray hair I get, the more I'm asked that question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because I, I've obviously uh, been around a little while. Um, you know, I think, I think two things. One, one is um, don't worry about girls. You'll, you'll meet, you'll meet <laughs> the loves of your life. <laughs> or guys in the other direction, right? <laughs> it's all going to be okay. You'll, you'll be all right. Um, but the other thing, and the most important thing, it, it comes back to a topic we've talked about already, but it, it's, 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 it's so important, I think, to live a life well lived. Live your values. Just live your values. And don't worry about making mistakes. This is what I would say to myself as a young person. Don't worry about making mistakes. You will. It's inevitable. Hmm. make decisions based on the information that you have, the best information you have at the moment and make decisions based on your values. And if you don't compromise your values, don't worry about the mistakes because they'll become your tuition, hmm. which is what I learned over time. But if I had a chance to tell my teenage self that I, I would do that so that he would know earlier, earlier, it's okay. We're all good. And instead, I had to fumble my way through life to figure out that, you know, coming up with values and living those values was really the most important thing. Yeah, incredible. Ryan, any other thoughts from you around this? Yeah, you know, I'm thankful for you talking about, um, you know, unpredictability because I'm on my phone. And as technology can be, sometimes it's unpredictable. And my battery's running low. So if I disappear suddenly, that's why. But, but as we're talking, my phone, anytime somebody calls or texts, it glitches out and disappears. So I'm, I'm grateful that I can still make those mistakes 
not worry about the, you know, predicting exactly how this is going to go and worry about like, oh crap, I just, you know, we had Dr. Ivan Meisner on it and my phone glitched. I can go back and watch the recording because of technology and I got to be here in the moment as it was happening and learn lessons from it. So um, from you, I, I, I can feel the caliber of person that you are in all of the years, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything that's happened, all the gray hairs, all the white, you know, I can see it. I'm getting some, I'm getting some experience in here. And, you know, uh, you know, as your eyesight grow, as your eyesight goes, your insight grows. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I appreciate the lessons and, and your willingness to share those with others so that maybe they don't have to experience such hard times or then they can then as they go through them can learn from those and be give themselves some grace and go you know what i'll be okay i'll be okay even if i'm the laughing stock even if i've you know even if i've been through hard traumatic times even if i'm not where i thought i'd be hey look if ivan can do it i can do it that's a great phrase. Give yourself some grace. Um, I think that's really important. You got to give yourself some grace. And and you're right. A- anybody can do this. I-, I don't come from a privileged background at all. Um, and and it, it, anybody can. I, I believe and I have seen throughout my life, ordinary people do extraordinary things but they have to believe they can do it. They have to have an abundance mentality. They have to learn from their mistakes and they have to have a positive attitude. Those are the things that I think make a difference in where somebody ends up in their lifetime. That's how you leave a legacy. Oh, and you have to help other people. Mm. That's how you leave a legacy. Yeah, important, very important right there. Yeah. Anything else you wanna share? Oh God, how much more time do we have? <laughs> you guys can keep yeah, going we'll forever. Have, we'll my hang. phone might not last. <laughs> you know, there, there, this is, I, I love I love what I'm doing. I think yeah. um, one of the one of the important lessons I've learned um, is that if you want to be successful at whatever you're doing, you got to do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. Mm. And so when you hone in on what's working, do it over and over and over and over again. If I have any superpower as a business person, it is that I am a dog with a bone. I I will work something and work something and work something until I get it where I want it to be. And uh, and that's, uh, I think, an important lesson to be successful in life. That could be a whole topic, like a side topic just by itself. That's another book right there, Dog with a Bone. Dog yeah. with a Bone. Yeah, that's the uh, next, be that's my the picture with a big bone back. in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Meisner with a bone in his mouth. That'll be perfect. Very, very professional. I like it. Guys, well, thanks for having me on. I yeah, really appreciate you. Thank you for being on. For those that are watching, thank you for being a part of this. In your own giant's journey, you'll recognize the 12 journeys that we teach in our programs through this conversation. And we all go through that. And so look at these tools that Ivan gave us around you know, just really working into your empowerment and holding on to your vision and your values and taking steps from there. Work that bone like a dog, right? (laughs) Sounds like a a strange phrase, but it makes so much sense. You know, just stick with it. Uh, You're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're right on time. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep learning from what you're doing. 
and uh, go make it a giant day. We will see you in the next video. Me too.